Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the season finale of season three of Living Room Logic. I just wanted to say a quick word to say thank you. This is the 35th episode we've put out. It is the end of our third season. We put out a total of 44 episodes, if you include Spread the Good. And literally just last night, we hit 10,000 listens. That's pretty awesome. And we're pretty damn proud of it. And I just wanted to say thank you so much to everyone who's been listening. Uh, It makes a huge difference. It really keeps me and Aiden driven to keep pushing. And and another shout out as well to everyone who supports us on Patreon. So I just wanted to take this moment, take this cold open away from our usual living room logic. That lovely jingle that he put in. And just say that and say thank you so much. We have an amazing interview lined up. I'm right about to introduce it. But thank you. Appreciate it. If you can support us, support us. And if you can't, tell a friend. Aiden, if you're listening, we did good. And I'm so happy to do this project with you. Welcome back to another episode of Living Room Logic. But today it's uh, quite peculiar. It's quite special. It's quite different because we're interviewing Dr. Katie Gazetta. Now, what interesting work she did will probably blow your ass off because she took feces, poo from younger mice, put it into older mice and found that it was therapeutic. <laughs> so it was a bit different. Um, and I, I, look, th- this was a big paper. It came out in one, in a very, very reputable journal in Nature Aging. It was covered widely by many different news agencies. And, um, Katie's brilliant. Uh, I n- know Katie from the last lab I was in. We shared a supervisor, but she was mo- mostly working in the APC Institute in UCC. Now she's, uh, working out in a hospital in Harvard and she's currently looking to go forward to Switzerland to continue her research. Very, very cool. But uh, Katie, how did you how did you get to a place where you were giving mice fecal <laughs> implants like like our transplants? How 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 do you go? For, <laughs> what is the <laughs> what is the background to this? Because it's quite a shocking thing to hear. And I just I just want to hear how 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 you defended yourself to an ethics committee to get this going. Yeah, actually, I mean, that's a really great point, especially the ethics. Now, um, it's not the first time that we've seen people giving poo to other animals or, or even humans. So in people, for instance, these poo transplants or fecal microbiota transplants, as, as we call them um, scientifically, is actually commonly used as a medical procedure now to treat infections like um, Clostridium difficile. And it's being trialed in other things as well, like um, IBS and, and, and those sorts of gastrointestinal diseases and conditions. Um, so it's not so far-fetched as it sounds. In fact, it might even save your life if you end up having some of these really severe conditions conditions. So how did we get to putting poo into old mice? I think I think that's really uh, the fundamental yeah, yeah. yeah the question here. 
for the last few years, for the last few decades, we've started to realize that the microbes that live in our gastrointestinal tract, and there's trillions of these cells, um, are really important for our health. So they're there, they're living within us, and they break down our food and release nutrients that are really crucial for our own human cells. So they really support our bodies. But mm. beyond that, they're also really important for priming our immune system and, and educating our immune cells on how to function. Um, so they're implicated in other diseases like obesity um, and, and diabetes in those sorts of conditions um, of, of metabolism. But in the last few years, what we're realizing is they're also linked to the brain and brain health. For instance, we can take mice um, as a great model organism for this for many reasons. We can take mice and we can make them what we call germ-free. So now they're living in a world where they've never interacted with bacteria ever in their lives. And we see that they have very altered immune systems that don't have that education. Um, and we see that within the brain itself, there's actually a lot of consequences to being germ-free or not having your, your gut microbes. Wow. And and interestingly, these mice have also differences in longevity. So they actually live longer and we don't know why, um, but they also have disrupted cognition. Um, so that's kind of the first fundamental under fundamental understanding that the gut microbes are really important for a lot of processes of host health. Um, now we're moving more towards this aging spectrum. So why did we do it in aging? What we've seen in the last few years before we started our research is that the gut microbes are associated with longevity. So there was a study that came out a few years ago that looked at um, killifish, these, this great fish model organism. It's quite small. Um, and what they did is they took microbes from middle-aged, or they took middle-aged fish and they gave these fish either microbes from younger fish or aged matched middle-aged fish. Um, and what they saw is that fish that received the microbes from the younger fish actually lived longer. So these young microbes were able to support the longevity of these middle-aged fish. Now, you might be thinking, okay, like, so what? Those are, those are fish. They're not mammals. They're very different from us in a lot of regards. Um, yeah. But this sort of research has um, also been been not quite replicated, but it's been put into mouse models. Um, for instance, a model of progeria, which is um, have a, a lot shorter lifespan than your typical mouse. And what we um, have seen it in a recent study is that when these progerioid mice receive microbes from wild type, like healthy mice, uh, they also live longer. So there's really a lot of implications that the gut microbiota is driving host aging processes. Um, when we think about in the brain and, and what could be doing this, like there really hadn't been any research done, but we had seen some papers where they gave this FMT, this microbiota transplant from aged mice into young mice and saw that um, when you when you gave this transplant from aged mice into young mice um, instead of young mice into young mice, um, they have very big differences in their immune system. So how their immune system is shaped based on the type of microbiome that you're receiving, whether it's from an aged host or a younger host. Um, so there's a lot of implication here that microbes are driving important processes for um, the host 
the immune system and mm. potentially the brain, because there's a big interface between the gut, the immune system and the brain. So we really wanted to take a deep dive into that and try to understand whether microbes play a role in host brain aging. Um, there's a big decline in uh, cognition and cognitive processes that occur in aging. Um, and then you also have a lot of aging related diseases of the brain, such as Alzheimer's disease and other neurodegenerative diseases. Um, so we wanted to really understand why is this happening? Um, one thing I didn't mention earlier, we also see with aging is not only is the immune system deteriorating or, or changing uh, rapidly, but the structure of the gut microbes is also changing rapidly throughout the aging process. So as you're okay. getting older, um, you're seeing a, a change in, in the, the type of bacteria that are there and also what they're doing functionally. What are they doing for your body? Um, so that's becoming increasingly important to try to understand what this change in the microbes mean. What, why, um, why are they changing? but also what are they doing and are they contributing to the aging processes of their host or, or are they just a passive along for the ride? And so what we're seeing through this FMT, this fecal microbiota transfer, is they actually do play a critical role in the brain health of their host. That's really cool. And I'm trying to just make the the, the leaps because I, like that was very, very well explained. And obviously, there's a huge background of research into why this makes sense. Um, it's just still a uh, abstractly a very strange thing to see that you took the microbiome of young mice put it in old mice and they behaved like young mice that, that that's the jump that's that's no, that's, that's, that's something really that happened big jump. um so we tested a ton of different behaviors a lot of cognitive based behaviors okay. um but a lot of other ones as well um and we didn't actually see a lot of changes in some of those behaviors but what we did see is that in a, a critical test for learning and memory process called the Morris water maze, which is a really, really commonly used and, and really great test for assessing these, these sort of spatial long-term memory and, and learning abilities. Um, aged mice, they have a big decline in these capacities and these functions um, when we assess it through the Morris water maze. But when these aged mice get the mm -hmm. microbiota from young mice, they actually have improvements here um, in, a, in a way that makes them not significantly different from the young mice anymore. So that's a really critical finding. So it's specific. We don't see changes in, in other behaviors that are that we assessed that are associated with other aspects of cognition um, or social behavior. Um, yeah. But critically, like this one type of behavior, this spatial learning and memory, uh, which also declines in conditions like Alzheimer's disease, that sort of process was able to be rescued through this microbiota transfer from young mice mm. into aged mice. So so they were able to get that spatial memory and learning yeah, rejuvenated. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a great word to use. Exactly. Yeah. So they got it rejuvenated. And was there other aspects as well, like uh, not just their behavior, but did you see it in their body? Like, I don't know if they're, if you, I don't know if you looked at maybe like their metabolism or something like that, or maybe their, okay. oh, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> we did. So we wanted to better understand why this was happening and, and we wanted to understand um, potential mechanisms 
mechanisms. Now, of course, it takes a lot more experimentation to really understand why this is happening. But this process of learning, this specific cognitive um, capability, mm-hmm. this learning and memory is strongly linked to the brain region of the hippocampus. So this region of the brain is really important for spatial long-term memory and learning processes. It's also important for things like anxiety and depression and stress response. Um, but this is a, a really really key brain region that we wanted to take a further look at. So in addition to these sorts of behaviors, we wanted to understand why uh, and how the gut microbiota might actually be driving processes that are that are changing in the brain, um, especially yeah. in the brain region of the hippocampus, which is really important for this specific type of cognitive uh, process, these learning and memory processes. Um, so what we first assessed was what bacteria were able to stick and what, like when we gave this microbiota transplant, did we actually see the effects in the microbiota? And to some degree we did, to a large degree, we also didn't. So um, there were some key bacteria that were able to colonize this aged um, mouse gut. Um, and there were a lot of others that, that maybe mm. didn't or maybe weren't so strongly colonizing. So one of those, for instance, that we did see uh, increase in our aged mice that pretty much wasn't really there. And when we gave our microbiota transfer from young mice into aged mice, we actually saw some of these species come back. So we were able to colonize the aged mouse gut with some bacteria, which wasn't found in our aged mice before, was able to stick in our aged mouse gut after they received this young microbiota transfer. Yeah. Um, so maybe this bacteria is one of the ones that is, is driving these changes in the brain, but we, we need to investigate this further still. And there were also a lot of different functional um, abilities of the gut microbiota, predicted functional abilities um, to do certain processes that are related to uh, the brain. So gut brain modules is what we call these. These are uh, predicted functional ability of the microbes in our population of, of mice, which we already know can play a role in the communication between the gut bacteria and brain processes. So we see differences in some of these processes um, in our aged mice, and some of them are also different when we gave our aged mice a young microbiota a transfer, such as uh, propionate synthesis um, oh. 3. So this, for instance, is a short-chain fatty acid, propionate, and it's um, short-chain fatty acids in general are really implicated in how the microbiota are able to communicate with the brain and and rejuvenate brain processes. So that's the microbiota, um, but we did look beyond that as well, of course. So we looked, um, I mentioned earlier how aging plays a big role in, in reshaping the immune system, and there's a big decline in the immune system that we refer to as immunosenescence, which occurs during aging. So sort of a, an aging of the immune system, a deterioration in some of um, the immune properties, yeah. which might actually be really relevant for COVID and, and what we're seeing in today's day and age. Um, we saw that there were a lot of things that were changed with aging, which we would expect to be changed in the specific populations of our immune cells. What we saw was that when we gave our aged mice a transfer of, of microbiota from young mice is that some of these populations of cells and some of the markers on some of these cells uh, that are important for cell communication and cell um, migration were actually altered back towards the levels of our younger mice. So not only are we seeing rejuvenation of some cognitive behaviors, but maybe it's occurring because of what we're seeing in the immune system um, and microbes that are driving these these immune processes. So um, this might be one of the ways that the gut bacteria are able to reshape um, the brain. What's so fascinating about this is seeing the relationship between the microbiota and function and 
it, it feels so disconnected. But then when you hear how connected it all is, it's quite, uh, it's quite impressive, really. And I guess that is my next question. My next question is, what is the connection? Because these bacteria, they, they don't pass through the intestinal wall. They don't get into the bloodstream necessarily. They don't, you know, wander into the brain and make changes. So what do you think is the mechanism where we're having a system and a colony and a population of bacteria in our stomach, in, in our abdomen, and then seeing subtle changes in our skull, in our brain, and having them connected. I can kind of see the immune system more because it's more peripheral. It would likely interact uh, with the intestines, but the, the brain as well, what how how is right. that connection yeah, overlapping? So that's that's a really important question, and we've been answer we've been trying to answer that for the last several decades. But we, we do have some answers. So the immune system is really important. It plays a huge role in responding to um, inputs from different cells. So bacteria can produce metabolites that can go in and affect specific populations of immune cells that can then respond. And they can go into, for instance, the, into the bloodstream and traffic up to the brain and communicate that signal in that sort of regard through the immune system. So there's, for instance, the vagus nerve, which is directly connected between our brain and the gut. It's the little longest nerves in, in our body, it transmits signals directly from our gut to our brain and also from our brain to our gut. So through this sort of super highway, our microbes we know can play um, have the ability to communicate directly to the brain through the vagus nerve. Um, now, I mentioned earlier when I was talking about immune systems that um, there's metabolites that the bacteria produce. And not only do they directly affect immune cells, but these sorts of metabolites might be able to uh, translocate from the gut. Well, the microbes have to stay there. They're quite protected by, by the gut wall and the mucosal barrier and, and all of this sort of um, protective tissue that's, that's down in the gut. Um, metabolites that the bacteria can produce may actually be able to escape and go up to the brain and therefore affect brain cells sort of indirectly. Cool. So there's there's several different ways that this might be occurring. That's super cool. So it's kind of like the bacteria are, they're perhaps logs on a fire that can't pass through the barrier, but the smoke can rise. The smoke can get through. The, the waste they're producing is small enough yeah, to get through that, that exactly. barrier. That's a great way to, for, for an analogy for like the metabolites, where we can also maybe say that the fire, when you see it off in the distance, is signaling something else as well through a different pathway, like the Vegas. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so you could you could look at the fire to predict where the what the smoke could be doing. That's mm -hmm. really really cool. And is is this something that you can analyze on an individual microbe level that you can actually see certain microbes and say that could be producing this metabolite and that could be having this effect? Is this something that would also be going it's on in your research? To do that. Um at the level that we did in our paper here, we we weren't we did not get down to that level um, detail because what that really involves, you have to know exactly what bacteria is there. Um, so once you are able to culture yeah, that bacteria fair. or isolate it, then you can look at its genetics and say, okay, what do we predict that this bacteria could do? So that's something that we did involve in our research was this sort of predicted functional ability of the microbes where we did see some changes there. Um, now, the other thing that you could 
the, the problem with that is that you're only predicting the function. So bacteria can do a lot of different functions. And so even though it, it has the ability to do something, doesn't mean it's necessarily doing it right then. Just because I have the ability to go walk doesn't mean I'm doing it right now. That's so that makes that makes a ton of sense. And it's also uh, I, I suppose it's a little unfair for me to expect you to categorize trillions of bacteria in any given sample uh, and say, ah, that's the only one yeah, exactly. producing this effect. It's very, it's very complex. But by seeing that there's differences in specific bacterial genera, then maybe we can focus our investigations a little better in future studies. Yeah, that's really, really cool. And I, I suppose before uh before some people listen to this and immediately start putting plastic bags in their toilet bowls and putting those into their freezers for future reference, um, is this something that you can see going forward? Um, because I, 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 for my own research and the work that I do, I definitely think that over the next 50 years, we're going to begin seeing aging as a, as, as a pathogenic process, as opposed to seeing it as a natural process, uh, especially as I think people who are in their 20s today are expected to live well into their 80s. And the kids that we have could be living into their late 90s and hundreds. We're going to start seeing more people living very old and we're going to see aging becoming a more significant problem. And, um, to, to, to swiftly move a little sideways from that, do you see, can you see a time where maybe these fecal transplants could actually be a, ter- a therapeutic intervention for some, not all, of course, but some of these proper, some of these things that degenerate with aging. Bound, but I think absolutely yes. Um, I mean, we're in the preclinical stages of investigating this still, um, but we are seeing that there's there are improvements that that do occur in in when you give a young microbiota transfer to an aged mouse. Um, so. Mm-hmm. Of course, we need to investigate this in people, but I think it's really exciting. And I do think in the next 50 years or maybe the next 20 years, we're going to see that this sort of FMT procedure is becoming more frequently used for therapeutics for aging related diseases. Now, right now, it's actually um, FMT is being trialed for conditions outside of the typical um, what you what you might call typical microbiota-based conditions like C. difficile. Um, So we're actually seeing that FMT is being trialed for conditions like Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis. So there's not really strong results yet. They're still small-scale studies um, and still investigating. But in two case reports, for instance, where elderly individuals who both had these conditions, the Alzheimer's disease, and they also were infected with C. difficile. They received an FMT in order to treat their C. difficile and their symptoms of Alzheimer's disease actually really improved. So um, the fact that these case reports are suggesting very similar evidence to what we're seeing here with improvement in um, typical aging trajectory um, cognition yeah. um, that gives a lot of hope for the future of this condition. And, and I do think that aging will be treated more as a pathology than than what we're yeah, than the natural progression as we see today. A big yeah. thing, though, is not only like you mentioned longevity. Uh, I think that's a huge thing 
to consider um, living longer in general. But I think what's more important is also living healthier while you live longer. So it's extending our lifespan. Of course. Um, so what we're seeing is through through studies like my own with my colleagues, Marcus and Tomas, um, we're seeing that the health span of these aged mice is actually improving. And I think that's really important. That's definitely more important because there, I suppose there's a huge difference between lifespan and living span. How much can life can you live? Um, I, I suppose for my own thing, I was only mentioning it because as it tends, when something becomes a problem for more and more people, more and more people pay attention to it. And I think, you know, we, we still have all these late, late life disorders and, and things that are associated with it that as more and more people tend towards it, we'll start seeing more and more cases of dementia and cases of these exactly. late and, life. And the goal for everyone, I mean, the kind of hope for everyone is to live a, a long and happy life. Um, but this aging process is hopefully in some ways going to affect everyone um, because everyone will be able to live a nice long life. But can we make this life healthier and can we improve the quality of living for not only people who are in a more elderly uh, population, but also for people who are giving them care and supporting them and, and our family or, or friends of these people. So everyone's aging um, and hopefully we'll be able to find solutions to improve the aging process through the microbiome class and that's that's super cool and now i did mention i was doing this interview to a friend of mine who thought it was awesome he thought it was so cool but he also asked if there was any hope of a less invasive way of going about this because obviously you know it's so so promising to hear that look these this treatment uh you know this treatment will really help you you'll feel better it'll alleviate symptoms oh yeah what's the treatment we're going to you know put poo up your bum and you know a lot that will obviously turn a lot of people away from it so is there any um any hope for utilizing this mechanism but perhaps through a less invasive way is there anything like that process of fmt um for treatment in people for c diff for instance is not the most pleasant uh to think about um so moving beyond it is really crucial um especially also thinking about how elderly individuals who might be more inclined towards this treatment of aging um, also typically have an increased incidence of frailty, um, which which is really important to consider when you're talking about uh, such an, a procedure. <laughs> so there's several things you can do um, to improve your gut microbiome that don't involve poo, for instance. So these would be a little bit more indirect. But for instance, if we could find a key bacterial species that's driving the processes that we see in our microbiota mm-hmm. transfer from young mice uh, into aged mice, Yeah. So perhaps what we could do is isolate this bacteria that has these beneficial properties and use it as a probiotic instead of having to do a a full FMT procedure. Um, Now, that's assuming that what we're seeing is because of a probiotic or beneficial bacteria coming in and colonizing the aged mice gut. But what might also be occurring is maybe there's a pathogenic bacteria within the aged mouse that's really growing and colonizing there. So maybe there's actually a solution where we could knock out that bacteria through a targeted antibiotic that's really uh, specific to that bacteria. Those are some sort of medical procedures that may become possibilities once we learn more about this as a a treatment uh, and why these effects are being driven. 
and in our FMD trials. Um, the other solutions don't involve um, those sorts of medical interventions, but actually yeah. changing your gut microbiome through lifestyle choices. And this is really crucial because the bacteria that live in your gut are extremely dependent on you and your lifestyle because you are, you are their environment. So what you eat is what they eat. And that d- determines what bacteria diet through having a healthier diet, um, we may be able to also improve the aging gut microbiome. And that's one of the things that we're seeing more and more, especially in human trials is um, increasing, uh, leaning towards a Mediterranean style diet that's that has more fish oil, Mm -hmm. more whole grains and, and less fat and sugar. These sorts of diets are linked to improved cognition in elderly population, potentially through driving changes in the gut microbiome. Um, So diet may be a a strong way to remodel your gut microbiome towards improved health, where we actually can avoid an FMT entirely. That's absolutely class. And I'm also, I also assume we could get to a place where some people could be determined at higher risk, or perhaps that these diets would be more beneficial to them. And Maybe not everyone would benefit from it, but you might be able to find something about certain people that you could say, if you go on a Mediterranean diet or if you, I don't know, eat this yogurt every day or something like that, you will seriously yeah. see benefits. And I think that's something super yeah, cool for the future. Towards personalized medicine and, and not just treating everyone the same because we are all unique and even more so our microbiomes are all unique as well. So maybe we will get to a place in the future where we're diagnosing diseases through the gut microbiome and we're able to make a personalized strategy to improve that person health through what bacteria are living uh, within them and and how their own cells uh, function. So getting towards that sort of personalized medicine, I think that's really a goal for the next 50 years of of medicine, definitely. That's absolutely awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Katie Gazetta. And Best of luck with all of your work in Harvard and all your work upcoming in Switzerland. And the next time you publish a super cool paper like that, I am sure we will be chatting again. Thank you so much. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Andrew. This is the end of the podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time. If you're feeling generous, and you're not completely skinned Why don't you give us some of your money Join our Patreon Join our Patreon Join our Patreon Join our Patreon Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.